You are listening to audio messages from Sunday mornings at Horizon. It is our hope and desire that this podcast would be a useful tool in your growth and in your walk with Christ. If you've not yet subscribed to our various channels, make sure you do so in order to stay up to date with the most current messages. More information about Horizon, as well as notes for this message, can be found at www.horizonweb.org. Well, good morning, Horizon. Good to see you guys. Let's welcome those online and those who are watching in Lodi. Thank you guys for joining us. We're starting a new series today on 2 Timothy, and um, it was interesting. Uh, I got lots of files in my office, and I had a file that said... Second Timothy on it and pull it out and I found a paper I wrote in seminary on Second Timothy. So that was typed out. Remember that? Typewriting, white out, you know, the whole nine yards. Uh, and so this book has always interested me, maybe because it's named Timothy and my name's Tim. I don't know. But of everything that it says in here and um, as we unpack this. We're going to be in 2 Timothy for a while. There's such great stuff here. Um, there's a thought of, this is actually Paul's last letter, and what's interesting about it is that if he were to probably name the book, I mean, it's, it's a personal letter to Timothy, but if you were to name the book, it would probably, a great title would be, Come Before Winter because that's what he asked Timothy to do. Come before winter, because Paul has found himself in Rome, in prison, and he knows this is it. He knows that his time has come, and this book is like his final testimony to his son, his beloved son, as he refers to him, his child, uh, Timothy. Now, it's interesting about Paul. Um, there's a letter that had circulated many years ago. It was a church who was looking for a new pastor. And as most churches, some of you may have been a participant of this, where you're on a search committee for, for a pastor, and a bunch of names come through and testimonies, you read it. But in this situation, they kept turning down every candidate that, that came to him. And the guy who was heading up the the committee, it was a little frustrated. So he gathered them all together and says, hey guys, I got another letter here of a pastor who wants to apply for the job. And this is what he said, dear church members, I understand that your pulpit is vacant and I'm writing to apply for a position as your pastor. Although I was not raised as a Christian and in fact actively opposed Christians for many years, I'm now very devout in my faith. I've never received any training and in that fact, I have no degrees on my walls. Actually, I have no walls either that I can call my own. My preaching generally receives positive results. Although a youth once fell asleep during a sermon, fell out a window and died. I've been accused of being a timid person. I am a prolific writer and have been said to be very bold in what I write. Although I have health issues, I'm praying God for help and these have not stopped me from accomplishing a great deal. Most of the churches I've served have been very small in contemporary standards. I have never stayed in one place longer than three years. In addition, I haven't really gotten along with other religious leaders in the communities. In fact, some have threatened me, even attacked me physically, and sometimes I've been forced to flee after my work because it's caused riots and disturbances 
Although I'm well regarded as an organizer, I'm not a good record keeper because I can't remember everyone I've baptized. Most of the churches I've been involved with think well of me and have been willing to support me in my several imprisonments that I've had to go through. I must admit that I am responsible for the violent death of at least one person, but I have had several people convert to Christianity during my ministry, and I'm responsible for a few healings as well. In addition, when the church has been unable to pay my salary, I've been able to support myself and my travels through a trade. I thank you for your consideration and reading this application, and I promise I will do the best for you. Of course, one of the guys in the committee says, are you kidding me? What are we, we're going to take a jailbird? He doesn't play well? He actually killed someone? What are you talking about? Who is this guy? And the guys, of course, many of you know, his name is the Apostle Paul. Honestly, if Paul were to apply to most churches, they would refuse him from his past, from, from just him. Even if he showed up, he wasn't a very handsome man, some say. Some say he had a very crooked nose, just a huge nose, and kind of walked hunched over. If he'd been stoned and beaten as many times as he had been, you probably would be too. But the apostle finds himself in a jail cell at the end of his life. And when you look at his life, because we need to understand Paul to get to what he's talking about, Timothy. 15 years of ministry so far, Three missionary, mission, three missionary journeys that he did, planted churches all over the Eastern Roman Empire, 20,000 miles over land and sea that he went. He planted churches, put pastors in there. He'd hoped to go to Spain. And even at this writing as he's in prison, which he'd been in prison before, but nothing like this. When he's been in prison before, sometimes a short stay in jail, or when he was in Rome the last time in prison, it was kind of like a homestay. He had a guard outside, and he was free to come and go as were visitors. But now he's in a cold, dark cell. And if you've ever been to Rome, you can actually go see the cell that he was in. He's chained. He's treated as a criminal. There's not enough light to really read by or necessarily write. And worse than that... As we'll see in Timothy, almost everyone that was with him deserted him. At one point, he says in 2 Timothy, I stood trial by myself because everyone left me. And honestly, if I think of all the sins you can commit against someone, I think betrayal is the worst. The hardest to get over is betrayal. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. For all intents and purposes, I believe Paul is at the lowest place he's ever been. And I would like, I would venture to say, he doesn't say this, at some point when he takes all this in, because all the churches he planted were struggling, false teachers were getting involved in all of them, that I wonder if he sat there and wondered if he was a failure. Little, he doesn't have what we have, 2,000 years of church history where Everything he did impacted the church as we know it. But when you're sitting in a jail cell waiting to die and you're writing your letter and you're chained as a criminal, the only one who hasn't left you who's there is Luke, faithful Dr. Luke. He writes this letter, and so imagine 830 miles to the southeast, a place called Ephesus, it's a port city, it's in Turkey today. 
there's Timothy. He'd spent 20 years with Paul, 20 years. They'd seen so much together. I mean, Timothy's most likely put bandages on his wounds. He's heard him preach. He's seen the miracles. He knows that he's been imprisoned, and finally a scroll shows up to his house. And here it's from his good friend Paul. So we're going to start in 2 Timothy 1, and we're going to just cover seven verses. But if I were to say what the theme of this passage is, of the whole book, Charles Swindoll, one of my favorite authors in the world, put 2 Timothy, summarized it this way. Hold it high, guard it well, pass it on. That's what 2 Timothy really says. So let me read the first seven verses, then we'll unpack this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience. As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives also in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Which many of the letters, he starts this way, but this is to his, his son. He, he knows who he is. Why the pronouncement, Paul, I, I'm the apostle of Christ Jesus, like Timothy didn't know that. I mean, Paul's, if you read other scripture, Paul's apostleship was always under question because he wasn't one of the original 12. Why does he get the status of apostle? Because that was something that was given to you, not that you just took on and announced as yourself. And the word apostle literally means a messenger, a representative who carries with him the authority as the one he represents. There's something about where intimacy does not take away from authority. These two hats are in my office. One says boss, and the other one says dad. My son Micah made these for me. Because there's sometimes where I gotta put my boss hat on. Son, I need this done. I gotta get this done today. All right, I, I don't want to hear excuses. I, I say all those things as his boss, but then I put the dad hat on. I heard you had a, a rough day at work today, son. Heard your boss came kind of hard on you. How are you doing? <laughs> Have you ever worked for your dad? I mean, I worked for my dad. I remember the first day, it was right out of college. He had a chemical fertilizer company, and my job was to drive a freaking diesel truck with a tractor on the back, a stilt tractor. I had a three-speed, you know, the three in the tree. That's all I knew about shifting. All of a sudden, I have this big truck with a red button and this. I knew nothing of what this thing did. But I do remember the instructions my dad gave me the first day. Son, people know you're my son out here. 
don't let them take advantage. Don't let don't don't have them do things for you because they'll all want it because he had some people he just hired for the summer and they want to get hired on full time. And sure, every day, hey, Mr. Stevenson, you want me to fill up the, the truck? Do you want me to check the oil? You want me to do this? Hey, you want me to climb in there and clean out the, that huge water truck you got going? I, no, no. Not that my dad had cameras everywhere. They weren't th that type of thing then. I guarantee you they would be today. I'm just seeing, where's Tim? Is he asking anyone to, to fill his gas doing these things? Because they wanted to take advantage of me, but I didn't want to take advantage of my dad because he was my boss, but he was also my dad. Sometimes there needs to be, I mean, there's intimacy, but there's authority. And even in a family, Parents, you have an authority, but if all you do is have authority and no love for them, then you're going to have troubles. But if you switch it the other way, if all you do is love them and you don't have any authority over them, you're going to have troubles. There is that balance between being the boss and being the dad. There's that balance between I am Paul, the apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, Timothy. He's setting his authority that I'm here, you're here. But when he starts talking about his child, it goes back to here. And that's a proper balance. As he continues to say, Apostle, I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. I looked at it, I go, what a great, what a great description of the gospel. It's the promise of life, that's the good news. That's what he brings. It's a promise of eternal life, guys. This is what I bring, and this is the message that he was constantly about. That's why verse two says, so to Timothy, my dear son. And of the Greek words he uses, he uses one that this is the child of my loins, which he wasn't. This is my legitimate son, which he wasn't. He had a Greek father and a Jewish mom. But to Paul, I'm your dad. I'm your father. We don't know how much relationship he had with his Greek father. We have no idea of that. But we knew the love that Paul had for Timothy. And he says, grace and mercy and peace. Because he knows of anything, those three things we need more in life today. Especially Timothy as a pastor of the church of Ephesus. I like how what Swindoll says here, the gospel message is about grace, God's gift to the worthless. It's about mercy, God's ministry to the helpless. And it's about peace, God's love for the restless. Verse three, he says, I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience at night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Now remember, he said, I'm thanking God as I sit here in a dungy, stinky, chained to the wall prison, waiting for my death, and he still had gratitude, guys. There was still that part, I'm thanking God. I mean, we stub our toe, you know, all of a sudden it puts us in a different mood. I mean, to have that attitude of gratitude that Paul had. I'm not, I'm not gonna, he wasn't perfect, there's no way there were times when he was chained or someone did something in the corner and go, oh, and he's got to smell it. He's got to be in it. He's not eating. He's got one friend visiting and the rest is all going. I'm, I'm sure there have been plenty of times where there was moaning going on. But bottom line, as he sat there, he says, I thank God whom I serve. This word serve as, as a priest is in the temple 
doing the exact thing the priest was called to do. He says, I know what I'm doing. I'm serving exactly where God wants me. And right now he wants me here. And as my forefathers did, I have a clear conscience. How much is a clear conscience worth? Have you ever just sat there? I mean, there have been times I sit laying in bed, I'm just thinking through the day and go, this was a good day. I mean, I don't remember doing anything bad, thinking a bad thing, N nothing. Clear consciences are great when you just, not per you're not perfect, he's not saying he's perfect, but man, I know I've done everything I can the right way along the way. But night and day, he says, I pray for you constantly. I personally have people in my life that pray night and day for me. I have a friend who has spent many a sleepless night praying for me, and I mean all night long. I receive emails through the night. I mean, I don't turn my, I don't get them in the morning, and I read the thoughts that they've had through the late hours praying for me. And just the thought that someone's praying for you, that someone's remembering you. Guys, the power of you pulling out that phone and texting somebody, I'm praying for you today. The power of those words, the power that comes across that you're letting people know, I'm, you're in my mind, you're, on, you're in my thoughts right now. I'm remembering you. And so you're seeing this, I'm the apostle, but you're my child. And I just want to let you know, I'm sitting here in this dungy prison thanking God for you, night and day, lifting you up in prayer. Verse four says, recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I might be filled with joy. Paul was always a source of encouragement for his church and those who he wrote to, but there's a part of him that's saying, I long to be in your presence. You have friends like that that you just long to be with? I mean, just the thought of bringing them. What I love about face, FaceTime is that I can connect with friends all over the country that will sit and talk for hours just on, online. We're sitting in my back courtyard for hours just talking about, and Gwen's always amazed, what did you guys talk about for three hours? I don't know, just, just talk about everything that you long for that companionship, you long to be there. And this is Paul's connection with Timothy. I recall your tears, which was on a beach with all the elders of Ephesus the last time he saw Timothy. And I long to see you, whether he believed he ever would. We don't know. I mean, there's something about Timothy and Paul. It's like, you know, when you have a buddy in a foxhole with you, you know, when you, when you, you fought together, you've hurt together, you've bled together, bled together, you cried together, there's a bond that, that you have with that person. I mean, you can have friends in other places, but when you've struggled, when you've been in hardships together, when you've just dealt with life together, there's a bond that's there. And that's, that's what Paul and Timothy had. Verse 5 says, I have been reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you. This sincere faith means completely genuine, 
unhypocritical, without pretense or deceit. I know this faith you have, Timothy, is sincere. It's real. Your grandmother had it. Your mom had it. And now it's in you. So let me tell you something, parent. Let me tell you something, grandparent. The power you have to influence your children, the power you have to influence your, your grandchildren, don't forsake that. Don't think, well, I don't think it's making any difference. When they see your faithfulness, when they see your belief in God, that's tangible. If you just bring them to church and expect that, you know, the youth leaders, we got great youth leaders, they do a fantastic job, great Sunday school teachers, but where it sinks in, where it sticks is when they see it in you. I wish there was a formula that if you did ABC, then your kids would turn out just like this. Is there a formula? Does anyone know a formula? Because what worked with one kid doesn't work with the next one. It's God's sense of humor, all right? Our job is to be faithful. Our job is to show them what life is. And that's why my mom clinged to the scripture all her life, that when you raise your child up in the ways of the Lord, when they're old, they won't depart from it. What about these years? When they're making choices that you're going, what are you doing? And, and now you're not a parent, you're a consultant. You can just consult them along the way because you have no power over them. They're grown up. They have kids. They're making decisions. And you're praying. But it was grandma. It was a mom. When, when somebody tells me, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about God. And, you know, my grandmother's praying for you. I usually look at them, then you're doomed, man. I'm just telling you right now. You got a praying grandmother for you. It's a matter of time before everything comes together. It's just the way it is. Parents, grandparents. I, I told this to a gentleman this last week when we we're talking about this kind of the subject. I said, You can't give what you don't got. If you don't got it, you can't give it to your kids. You need to be grounded in your faith. You need to grow and understand so you can pass that on. How many times in the scripture? Teach your kids, teach your kids, teach your kids so that they will trust the Lord. It's not just the story. <laughs> <coughs> that you're teaching them. It's the faith that they're seeing in how you're acting with your wife, with the kids, with the neighbors, at your job. That's what influences them. And Timothy had that influence from his grandmother and mom. That's why verse six, for this reason, you have a sincere faith, Timothy, I know that. I've seen it at work. I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. I love campfires. I love fires. I, I, I'm a, I, I love starting them. I mean, in situations. Um, it's funny. I, I was going to show the video, but it would be a family joke where when Hazel May, I think she was two, and we're going to have a, gonna do a campfire, and I recorded her saying to Micah, Micah, come over, for you are the fire master. <laughs> it, is, it is such a great little video, because the fire master. And he is. He, I mean, he builds a great fire, man. I mean, it, 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 I, I just pour gas or whatever I have to, to start it, man. He's got it all stacked and this, this, this. He is truly a fire master, but if anyone... Well, like Michael or anyone who you know who loves campfires, you gotta constantly tend to it. You can't just start it once and be done. You're stirring the coals, you're putting more wood on the fire. 
You're fanning the flame. And our job is that he's saying, Timothy, you have a sincere faith. I've seen it. But you have a gift. I was there. I laid my hands on you. You have a gift. But you got to fan the flame on it because if you don't, it's going to go out. He writes in Romans 12, 11, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. The Amplified Version says this, never lagging behind in diligence. The King James Version says, don't be a sloth. My version says, stop being lazy. God has given you a gift. That's what Paul's saying. But if you don't fan it, it's going to go away. You got to use it or you're going to lose it. And that's our job. Guys, gifts are not automatic. <clears throat> They're not just something that he gives it to you and then you've got to do nothing about it. If you don't fan it, it won't flame. Plain and simple. And you've been given this gift. God wants you to use it. He wants to use you. But I'm going to tell you right now, he's not dependent on us. He wants to use us, but he's not dependent on us. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ here today, you have been given a gift from him. You've been handed a gift, one if not more. You've been given a gift, you've been given a different gift. I got you doing this, I got you doing this, you're doing this. And when you all work together, man, the church is just moving and it's dancing and it's flowing and it's meeting people's needs. He's given you that gift, but if you don't use it, you've heard me say this a thousand times, he'll find somebody else that will. He's not dependent upon us because if he were dependent upon us to get his job done, then who's really in control here? God's sovereign. His plan's going forward with or without us. He wants to do it with us. And therefore, he says, I'm going to give you this gift, you this gift, you this gift. You need to fan the flame. Because if you don't keep doing this, it will go out. The ways of the world will make this go out. How do, you keep, how do you fan the flame? Here's a few. We stir up the gift by using the gift. It's godly discipline. It's kind of like cooking. I love to cook, obviously. I love to cook, and I feel myself fairly proficient at it, but I didn't always used to be. We've always talked about, when did we start using garlic? When did we start using all these spices and wines and everything? I, I, can't wait. I think when cooking shows came on TV is when we started doing that. And I love to cook, but I'm going to tell you something. It takes practice, right, to become a good cook. We were in Mexico, the best, one of the best meals I had in Mexico. I mean, we're at this restaurant called Mim, and it, it had a very eclectic. I mean, it had you know, stuff from Thailand, stuff from Mexico. It had everything that you'd want, kind of want. And everyone's ordered and said, Dad, what are you going to order? I said, I'm not going to tell you yet. Because I ordered something I've never ordered in my entire life. I said, I'll take the brazen Moroccan lamb cooked with saffron. I've never ordered lamb. I think I can have, I think I've had lamb once, maybe twice in my entire life. It just, what the heck? I'm going to order that. Oh my gosh. When I think of Mexico and food, that's the first thing I think of. It was the most tastiest thing that I've ever had to the point where I was taking bread and sopping up the, the, the leftover juice. I, I would have licked the bowl if no one was looking. <laughs> And here's the deal, I'm gonna cook that. 
Never cooked with saffron before. I understand it's very expensive, so if you've cooked with it, let me know. It's very expensive. But I've already watched five or six videos on braising lamb, Moroccan style, saffron, going, okay, do, and they all have different ways of doing it. So I'm going to practice this. The first time, it might turn out great, but I'm going to work at it because when you do something over and over again, that, it becomes a skill that's just like this. I love welding. I've got welders, I've got cutters and everything, but if I go to weld some today, I'd have to sit there, because I don't do it all the time. I go, all right, wh what gas do I got to turn on first? What buttons do I got to hat? I mean, it, it may be welded together. It's going to look like poo-poo, but it, it, you know, I can do it. But some of you do this all the time, man. You put a bead on, you're not even thinking. You're just going. I've caught myself on fire because I don't know how to do certain things. Because well, I don't do it all the time. If you keep using it over and over again, that's where that discipline comes in. We do it by keeping in step with the Spirit, following the Holy Spirit's direction and guidance. Galatians 5.25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Which means when you wake up in the morning and God has felt in his mercy, said, I'm going to give you another day. I'm not done with you yet. My job is to keep in step with him. Where does he want me to go? What does he want me to say? What does he want me to do as I'm going to my job, as I'm seeing my family, as I'm meeting with people? I'm keeping in step with him because he's moving. The kingdom of God's moving forward. I need to keep, it's not me saying, God, follow me. It's God saying, follow him. We do it by not quenching or neglecting the spirit of God. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, do not put out the spirit's fire. That's what I do. I can take a bucket of water real quick and quench that fire. Sin does that, neglect does that, so many things that will quench the fire of God that he's given you. Fan the flame. Last one I put down is we mutually encourage one another. We need each other. Again, if the pandemic has taught us anything, Hebrews 3.13, but encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Sin's waiting outside the door. It's ready to harden you, but we need to encourage one another to, to buck up, to come on, you can do this. You can, and encourage one another all the more. Even, even Hebrews 10.25 says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but let us encourage one another. And all the more as we see the day approaching because the, the worse things get, the more encouragement we need from each other. Verse seven says, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power of love and self-discipline. Now, Paul knew Timothy. He'd spent 20 years in ministry with Timothy. Paul saw Timothy in action. I think Paul knew that Timothy's temperament was toward timidity. But there's some here. You know who you are, no pointing fingers, of who are more timid than others. Some of you guys charge up a hill without thinking about it, and some of you guys will spend all day thinking about it before you charge up the hill. And we need a blend of both of those. But the, he says here, Timothy, you've not been given a spirit of timidity or fear because the Holy Spirit that's inside of you, you've been given it. He's not talking about the, his, his spirit. He's talking about the Holy Spirit inside of him that the Spirit of God is not timid. 
John MacArthur says this, he says, no matter how gifted a person may be, or how well trained, biblically literate, astute, or act articulate, and no matter how much opportunity or privilege he may have, if he lacks spiritual courage and commitment, he will not speak and act effectively for the Lord, which is true. It takes courage. The Holy Spirit is, that's what gives us that courage. Many times, it, even inside of me, I'm fearful to take a step because it's going to require to take a step of faith. But he's given me a spirit, not of timidity, but of courage. That's why throughout the scriptures, the most commanded thing there is do not fear. We're fearful people. Fear is so powerful. That's, that's probably the greatest tool of the devil today is fear. Watch the news. Does it, oh, I'm afraid of this. This is going to happen. 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 No. Timothy, you do not have a fearful spirit. That's not what's inside you. You have a Holy Spirit of fire. As a matter of fact, he starts listing the resources that he's given us. Verse 7, for did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power. This word power is dunamis, where we get dynamic or where we get the word dynamite. But it's not power like in a nuclear explosion power. It's like Tesla power. Now, I've not driven a Tesla, but I've talked to many who do have that you just step on the gas and it's instantaneous. Wham. I did talk to a guy in Mexico who, who, who uh, test drove the brand new Harley, which is electric Harley. And he said it was amazing. It was the fastest thing he'd ever been on. And he wrecked it and broke both hands. Uh, <laughs> He was a surgeon too. That was, he says, I don't think my wife's going to let me get a motorcycle now. I mean, he, he, he's back to surgery and things, but he said, yeah, that wasn't smart because that was so fast, so quick. I didn't even realize what was going on. That's the power. It's that resurrection power that Paul talked about that is at our access. This is one of the resources. You don't have a spirit of timidity. You don't have a spirit of fear inside you. you got a spirit of power inside you that raised Christ from the dead. But do we lean on that? Do we even believe that? Because many times we just sit there, I'm nothing. I can't do anything well. I'm not good enough. I can't speak this. I can't do that. I can't, 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 can't. And God says, it's not you. It's me that's going to do it. Again, that's back to the power of believing in each other. My first time ever speaking in front of anyone was horrible. I tell people that constantly. After that experience where I had guys cussing in the front row to get me done because I was the, they had to hear me before they got to eat at the, the, the rescue mission. I'm being cussed at, F this, F this, hurry up, I'm hungry. And I couldn't even remember the only verse I memorized in my life. I just go and blank on it. I walk off the stage, never, ever am I going to do that again and Bob Southern came alongside of me and said, Tim, this is what God has called you to do. No, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not doing this ever again, ever. Tim, you're holding my hand. This is what God has called you to do. I've never forgotten that. Because it's not me. It's God empowering us to do that. God has given us the resources. He's given us the power. Ephesians 1, 18 through 20. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope 
to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his, what? Incomparable great power for us who believe. That's in you. That's a resource. That's, you can access that. Do we? That power is like the working of his mighty strength. Now think about it, guys. Throughout scripture, throughout the Psalms, he says, by his mighty right hand, because that's all he needs is his mighty right hand. He doesn't use his whole body. Doesn't need it. His hand is mighty enough. And the power that's inside of you, he says, that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly realms. That power is access to you. Really? You believe that? Do you live in that? Not only does he give his power, he gives his love, but a spirit of power and of love. This is that agape love. Romans 5, 5 says, and hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. This power that he's... This, is in us, this love he's poured in us so that not only we love God, that we love other people. Because sometimes some of you, not you guys, it's the second service people, are really hard to love. <laughs> right? You know people that are just hard to love. The only one that makes that possible is God inside. That he gives me the power to do that. And lastly, and I think probably one we struggle with a lot, self-discipline. Really? He hasn't given me much self-discipline. If you see my office, um, discipline is this, a secure and sound mind, a self-controlled discipline and properly prior, prioritized mind. Well, some of you, you say, there are those, you know, my favorite word, I've given this to several people as of late, is chaotic. It means organized chaos. You go to my office, it's chaotic. I mean, there's stacks everywhere. Someone came in my office and said today, have you read all these books? I said, oh, most of them. Other ones I just put on there just to look smart. No, just kidding, I didn't say that part. This self-discipline allows us, this is back to how I fan the flame, it's self-discipline, it's, it's actually doing it, doing it, doing it, that if I wake up realizing that strength on his power, realizing I need his love, that he's given me that resources, Realizing he's given me the ability to be self-disciplined. Now, there are very few things that I really do on a regular basis, but there are some things, even as of late, um, I think I told you that how many poems or songs I wrote on vacation, but I'm still practicing them. Not every day, but two yesterday. It just, it's been a great exercise for me for right now. And I don't know how long God will give me that. I may find something else. But to plan yourself to be disciplined, to be in his word, to be in prayer, to rely on his power, to rely on his love that he's poured in my heart to love God and love other people. That is how I fan the flame and I continue to not quench the spirit of God inside of me. Power, love, discipline belong to every single one of you who are a believer in Christ. They're yours. You can't learn this in a classroom. 
It's not just an automatic thing you grow up with. It's something that the Spirit of God, who's inside of you, has resourced for you. You choose whether to depend on that or not. Power to serve him with the strength that he provides. Love to have the right attitude towards God and other people. Discipline to focus and apply every part of our lives according to his will. He gives me that power. I have to just engage in that and use that and resource that. And that's how I fan the flame. Guys, he has given each one of you a gift for a particular purpose. And if he woke you up this morning, gave you breath and got you dressed, then you're not, he's not done with you yet. So take advantage of that. There's something that he's called you to do. If you don't know what your spiritual gift is, you get on our website, there's a box you can click and go through a spiritual gifts test. Again, our spiritual gifts, we can have one, we can have more. You might say, I don't know if I have that because if I would have taken a spiritual gift test at the beginning and someone says, well, you're going to stand up in front of people and teach people, I said, no way, not happening. If you knew me in high school, you'd be shocked I'm standing up here. All right? I didn't do crowds well. I'm not going to get in front of people and say anything. God says, oh, yeah, okay, let me show you what I'm going to do. He gifts on purpose, which will require steps of faith for us to step out and do the things, relying on his power, relying on his love, relying on his self-discipline. And we fan it by using it constantly. And we need to mutually encourage each other along the way. Guys, we do that when we grow in our faith. Starting in September, you've got the growing strong. John, is it September we're looking at journey, starting a journey? All right. And so the journey, which is a different kind of discipleship program. Well, both of them are great. I've been through both of them. Here's opportunities to fan the flame, to stir things up inside of you. But guys, God is, I would say, for this message, God is saying, guys, you all been given a gift. Know what it is and start fanning it. Start practicing it. Start using it. He wants to use us in building his kingdom. He doesn't need you to accomplish it. He'll find somebody else if you say, nope, not going to do it. God will find somebody else. He's always got a backup plan. But he wants to use us because I'm gifted you, I've got you talents, I've got you personalities, I've got your temperament, and it's all designed. When you lean in on my power, when you lean in on my love, when you lean in on that discipline, you engage, and beautiful things happen. Timothy, fan the flame that God has placed inside of you. Don't be timid. Don't be fearful. You've got the power of God. You've got the love of God. You've got the discipline of God to fulfill what I've called you to do. Father in heaven, I thank you for this day. Again, you got us here. You gave us breath so you're not done with us. Lord, help us take advantage of that. For those here who may not know what gift you put in them, may they diligently seek that. May they seek after it until they find that. And when they do, may they fan that. Those who know what their gifts are, they know where they're at. Lord, may they fan that flame. May they build it up to a roaring fire for so much is at stake. 
kingdom that you want us to participate with, that you desire to use us for us to be a part of that. So may we take our sincere faith. May we put away the fear we may be feeling and live in that power, that love, that discipline. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to Horizon Community Church's podcast. Our hope and prayer is that wherever you are, you would be encouraged by this message and be equipped to face any challenges that come your way. More information about Horizon can be found at www.horizonweb.org.